Reverend John Ferret, and welcome to the continuing study on the Torah, the Gospel according to Moses on the book of Exodus. And we have reached Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, the giving of the Ten Commandments. And one of the things that is quite clear, this is a unique event in world history. It's a special event in world history, and on top of that, it's, it's critical. It's a critical event in all of world history. So we're going to be spending a lot of time specifically on these verses, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17, the statements of God. There's so much that we missed in this, you guys. And this event testifies of Messiah Jesus. Remember in John 5.39, Jesus says, all, all scripture testifies of me. And he's saying that when there's no New Testament. He's saying it to his people 2,000 years ago. And all they had was the Hebrew scriptures, which we know as the Old Testament. So we're, or I, am doing a series of lessons on Exodus 21 through 17. And I've already done three video lessons that were an introduction to the Ten Commandments. And like I said, I can't believe, I mean, when you take a look at these the introduction videos, I think you're going to agree to me, it, it, agree with me. It's just quite amazing how much we've missed. I really suggest that you watch those introductory videos before you even continue with this one, which is lesson four in the entire series. How do you get them? It's really, really simple. Go to the website, www.lightamenorah.org. Remember, menorah is spelled M-E-N-O-R-A-H. And light a menorah, no spaces, no caps. Treat it as one word, www.lightamenorah.org. When you get there, look for the YouTube icon, which will be on the right side. Click on it. That will take you to our YouTube channel. And once you're there at the YouTube channel, look for the word Playlists playlists. I have grouped all of the lessons that I have done on everything uh, into various groupings, playlists if you would. Click on playlist and look for Ten Commandments. Once you go in there, you'll be able to see video lesson one, parts one and two, video lesson two, parts one and two, and video lesson three, parts one and two, and again, all the lessons, this this audio podcast, for instance, will be as uh, be there as well. So you can go there and you can get access to those three videos as an introduction. And like I said, I highly recommend that you listen to those first before continuing on as we go into the individual verses now in, in uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. So finally... Let's begin our lesson, our lesson four, the fourth lesson in this series on Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. And we're going to focus in on Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 2. Reading from the New American Standard, it says, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, just a comment, we're studying the Ten Commandments, but the original wording is Aseret HaDevarim, the Ten Statements, the Ten Words. So, when we read verse 1 here in chapter 20, it really is 
Ve'daver Elohim et kol ha'devarim. And we have to recognize the word ha'devarim. Ha'devarim is statements or words. The word commandments, mitzvahot, or the commandments, ha'mitzvahot, is absent. It's the ten statements of God. And we found out that ten commandments is actually a mistranslation of the church back in the late 1500s. They translated Aseret Chadevarim, the Ten Statements, as Ten Commandments. So this is kind of a big deal. It's very interesting. I mean, and Christian scholars recognize this, so it's not really anything weird or out of the ordinary. This is real truth. Now, this is not a big deal to me. I'm going to probably still use the phrase Ten Commandments, because there are Ten Commandments. Uh, now the Jews have their version and the Catholics have their version and Protestants have their version but what's fascinating is God spoke all words in verses 1 through 17 and verses 1 through 17 contain the Ten Commandments we're studying all the words of God Aserit, Haserit, Hadevarim all ten statements of which the Ten Commandments are part of that so again, what we want to do is take the Ten Commandments and put them into their textual context. So there are three versions of the Ten Commandments, as I mentioned. There's the Jewish version. The Jewish version is, I'm the Lord your God who has taken you out of the land of Egypt, from the, from the land of slavery. Uh, so basically, verse 2 is the first commandment in the Jewish list. In the Catholic list, it's I am the Lord your I the Lord am your God you shall not have other gods before me so they take portions of verse 2 and verse 3 and that's their first commandment for the Protestants they again warp the Word of God and it says you shall have no other gods but me and they're just really focusing in on verse number 2 so in verse 2 it says, God brought you out of Egypt. Now what's interesting, and first thing that we want to take a look at, is the word you. In Hebrew, there are two forms of the word you. You meaning you as an individual person. So if I'm speaking to a group in a room, and there are, let's say, ten guys and one woman, and I'm speaking specifically to the woman, and I point to her, and I said, you, meaning that woman, uh, for in English, we have the only one word, you, Y-O-U. But in Hebrew, there would be a very specific Hebrew word meaning that specific individual. There's also a Hebrew word meaning you all. So if I was speaking to the ten men, and that one woman in the room, and I used the other Hebrew word, word it would imply I'm speaking to you all so when it says that God brought you out from the land of Egypt it's singular this is spoken by God to each individual that he brought out of Egypt this is personal this is deeply one-on-one -on -one between ourselves myself and God it's not you all each individual is affected. Even the non-Hebrews who also came out of Egypt. It seems that, from a Jewish scholarly perspective, and really 
even a Christian scholarly perspective, that Aseret Hadevarim, the ten words, the ten statements, this is the covenant of God, are not only for Israel, but it's for everyone. It has a universal application. So, there's another aspect, aspect here, and God is being very specific. It says, God, I'm God, I'm the Lord, and I'm the one who brought you out. It's not happenstance. It's not just the way things happened. This was engineered by God. This was designed by Yahweh. Now remember, I use the word Yahweh. Some people say God's name is Yahweh. I have a problem with that because in Hebrew there is no W sound. So I believe it's Yahweh. I have a whole reasoning behind why I say it's Yahweh. Some say Yehovah, uh, and others have other ways of saying God's name. I happen to say that his the pronunciation is Yahweh. But that's not a hill I want to die on. So when we take a look at this, we take a look at the first commandment, and with regards to the first commandment, the Jewish version includes, I am the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt. But in the Catholic and Protestant versions, it's totally left out. And I ask myself the question, why? Now, maybe it's because for Catholics who are non-Hebrews, non-Jews, and Protestants, they'll say, well, it's not that God took us out of Egypt, but he took the Hebrews out of Egypt, so we're going to leave that out. And perhaps that's exactly what they did. Perhaps, though, the Catholics and Protestants could have phrased it this way. I would rather so line up with God's word. Maybe they could have phrased it this way. I am the Lord your God. I brought Israel out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. Why couldn't they just add that phrase in there to recognize who God is? Rephrasing it clearly shows who is our God. It's the God of the Jewish people. It's the God of the Christians. God of the Gentiles. Oh, we may differ on our aspects of Messiah, but we can't differ on our God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel. Now, such a rephrasing may have eliminated an older heresy. And I don't know if it's still around today, but you may hear that some Christians said that there was a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. They were two separate gods. And that was a heresy right from the get-go. That, that, it definitely is not true. So maybe the Catholics and maybe the Protestants could have said, I am the Lord your God. I am the ones who brought Israel out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. That would have really set the stage and established the foundation of who our God is. Jew and Gentile were under one God, one true God, the only God, the God of Israel. So is there another reason why it's stated this way? I am God, I am Yahweh, I am the one who took you out. Now one of the things that is so critical in our study of Exodus is there is strong biblical 
support for the fact that the Hebrews, after Joseph died especially, assimilated into the Egyptian culture. Most turned away from the worship of Yahweh. Most turned away to worship the gods of Egypt. Now we studied this in detail. This is in video 2, part 2, in this Ten Commandments series. You can find that, as I mentioned to you before, in the playlist at YouTube. And that's in video 2, part 2. Or, you can go to the playlists there at the um, YouTube channel and look for uh, the Gospel According to Moses Exodus, all the lessons on Exodus, and look for Exodus Lesson 4, Part 2. And like I said, go to the website, look for the YouTube icon, click on that, look at playlists. One playlist is Exodus, and you can find Lesson 4, Part 2, or the other playlist is the Ten Commandments, and find Video 2, Part 1, and you'll be able to... Um, I think it's video. No, it's video uh, Video 2, Part 2. And in that video, again, I present the material about how Israel definitely assimilated into the Egyptian culture. And this is critical. It's critical for our study as we continue to go on. So, the Hebrews, coming out of Egypt, they knew many gods. I mean, you guys, we're at, we're at Sinai. We're only 50 days away from the first Passover. And they knew many gods, and they probably still do. Amun-Ra, the chief god of all of all of the gods. Khnum, the ram-headed god, and he was one of the creator gods of Egypt. Nut, the, the sky goddess. Hathor, the love goddess. Osiris, the god and the king of the underworld. And Apis, the sacred bull, and many, many, many others. There's so many gods to choose from. God needed to teach his people, his elect, his chosen ones, he needed them to come against Egypt. No, he didn't say, I'm the mighty creator. Why? Egypt had three mighty creators. Take your pick. Atum, Pata, and Kunum. They had three different creation stories. So if God said to them, I am the Lord your God who created everything, that would be really to the Hebrews... Uh, meaningless because they say okay that's the fourth creator God because we know three others in Egypt but only God the God of Moses did this no other and now the Hebrews could clearly see this distinction now remember there are no commandments in the original Hebrew, there are no commandments at all, no Ten Commandments. Every place you read Ten Commandments, that's been a mistranslation. And what we have is Aseret HaDevarim, the Ten Statements of Yahweh. And so here we have God saying, I am the one who delivered you. I am the God who did all this. You experienced this since the past, that first Passover night. Now some say, that this verse 2 where I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and the house of slavery is really a commandment to believe Catholics and Protestants remember they add verse 3 and all of a sudden now they have a command 
And that command is, you shall have no other gods before me. But there are Jewish scholars and there are Christian scholars who say that this first commandment, the Jewish commandment or the Catholic or the Protestant version, is really all about belief. But that makes no sense. Because when we take a look at this historically, the Jews already knew God. They had experienced him. They experienced God in the plagues. Moses had introduced them to the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So they knew that this is not a commandment to believe, but it's a statement. God's statement of a fact. I'm the one who did this. Now all the Hebrews experienced all of it. They had an experiential knowing of God. Now this is interesting because they're very there's a specific Hebrew word that has a meaning that means experiential knowing. It's yada. Its Strong's number is 3045. And yada has the meaning of an experiential knowing. And this is what God wanted of them. Matter of fact, we go to Exodus 6, 7, and we read, Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and here it is, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Yada. You're going to have an experiential knowing of who I am. This is what he's saying. Here's another one. This is in Exodus 8, verse 22. God says, But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people are living, so that no swarms of slaves will be there, in order that you may know. Okay, by experience, you're going to experience the fact that there were no flies there. So it's an experiential knowing. Yada. So it's not just by reading words that they say God exists, they experience God's actions and his and his miracles. And their relationship is based upon these actual facts that they actually saw. So they had faith, but God also gave them that experience. And remember, they already believed, so this is not a commandment to believe. It can't be. And Dennis Prager, in his Exodus commentary called Exodus the Rational Bible as a deeply religious Jewish man and excellent scholar. He makes a comment on this. Now, the reason why going to Dennis Prager as a Jewish believer, he wrote his commentary on the Torah for his people, the Jewish people, but also for Christians. One of the reasons we have the same, we share the same God. On top of that, we share the same Bible. The Old Testament is part of the Christian Bible. So we need to go into these very words of God and to understand it from a Jewish perspective, from a Hebraic perspective, is exactly what Prager is doing, is is critical. Now Dennis would make a comment, he said, belief can't be commanded. I mean, you, you can make a command and say, okay, you're to believe. Well, some probably can and some probably can't. And I can see how somebody might say, wait a minute, you're commanding me to believe in you? Who are you? Why should I believe in you? Again and again, God wants us to know him. 
and it's an experiential knowing. Now, you'll hear many people say, oh, I believe in God. Uh, you can read in the literature of World War II from Nazi Germany that the Nazis believed in God. You will read that Islamic terrorists believe in God. There are many Christians that you'll say, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. And then you have to ask yourself, well, wait a minute, what do you mean? What do you mean about God? What do you believe about him? What are the specifics about God? You can see how important this is to try to figure out what the Nazis are saying when they say they believe in God. You can see how important this is when you're actually coming to an Islamic terrorist and say, what do you mean about believing in God? What are, what are the specifics? Belief in God? Anybody can say that. But knowing God having an experiential knowing of him. This is what I've experienced of God. This is what I have seen of God. So maybe when you come to somebody and ask, don't ask them this. Don't ask them, do you believe in God? Ask them, if you believe in God, what do you know about him? Did you hear that? Do you believe in God? Tell me what you know about him. Like in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, God created the heavens and the earth. This is a fact. Now, but it's something we did not experience. So once we experience God, once we have an experiential relationship with Him, and we start reading about the facts of God, we can add to those facts and tell other people more about the God we believe in. Now, Jesus, He's God. No doubt about it. Malachi 3.6 God says, I never change. And God wants us to know him. So let's read the words of Jesus. We're going to Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 to 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. So here are these people saying, Jesus, hey, uh, we're, look what we did. So they're just coming to Jesus with a bunch of words. But this is what Jesus says. This is very interesting. And Jesus will then say, and when then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never had an experiential knowing of you. You say you did miracles. You say you prophesied. I've never experienced that. We don't know each other. and I, You don't have an experiential knowledge of me. The bride and the bridegroom. The church and Jesus are in a relationship that is like it's like what like Paul does in, in Ephesians chapter 6 he says it's like a picture a picture of godly marriage between a man and a woman with Jesus the bridegroom and us the bride this is not just about belief this is about real experiential knowing Dennis Prager goes on with regards to his comments specifically about verse 2 and he said, this is getting really personal. 
Now, the creator of heaven, uh, the creator of heavens and earth, that's not personal. We didn't experience it. But when God says, I'm the one who delivered you out of Egypt, you singular, meaning you and me, each individual person, that's personal. This God is the unique, special God for each of his chosen people, the Hebrews and each of us. You can read this in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. God's speaking to Moses. And he's telling Moses, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. What, there are three gods? No. In each instance, there's a special relationship that God had with Abraham. It's a special relationship that God had with Isaac and in Jacob. We can continue on. The God of Moses, the God of David. All of these men we can read about in the Hebrew Scriptures, and we recognize that the stories of each of these five is different. So this is not about five different gods. It's each one had a unique knowledge of God, yada, an experiential knowing. There's only one God. Only one real God, the true God. But he relates to us in very special ways. So this idea of these verses, 1 and 2, this becomes very personal. So God is definitely the one who freed them. He is the one who did all of these things to get them out of Egypt and the house of slavery. He's not just one of the creators. He is the one and unique only God who did this. Another comment with regards to, uh, or from Dennis Prager, he also says this establishes God's authority over the rest of the words that we're going to be studying here in verses 1 through 17. I mean, look what he's done, this amazing historical event, this, this, and they have experienced it. Creation is universal, you guys. Every pagan culture had their own creator God. But here we're talking about a personal experience that they had in this historical event. And so indeed, it really establishes God's authority, who he is. But it also talks about the fact that God cares for us. He brought me out. That's, that's what a, a Hebrew could say. Because God spoke with a singular you, meaning, hey, me, the, the short guy in back. God brought me out. Or the young lady over there behind the rock. Yeah, he did this for me, just for me. He did this. No one else did this. And so, as they're entering this covenant... God's saying, I'm the one who delivered you. Now there's a bunch of things I want you to do. Or there's a bunch of things I don't want you to do, like do not steal. We'll be getting to that. So it's almost as if this is how you're going to repay me. And we're going to study that in verses 3 through 17. There are commandments in these statements. 
take a look at the introductory vi videos. And in the introductory videos that we talked about, half of the statements seemingly are our relationship to God, and the other half are our relationship to our fellow man, to our neighbor. And so how do we repay God? There are things we do with our relationship with him, and there are things we do with our relationship with our neighbor. We repay him in two different ways. By serving him and obeying him, like keeping the Sabbath, and also by loving our neighbor. We repay him in the way we treat others. That's all about love. Because then later on in Leviticus, we read about Leviticus 19.18, you'll love your neighbor as yourself, and it really comes in to that group of commandments that relate to the other person. Oh, God did this for me out of love. Because I'm a descendant of Abraham, he does it out of his love for Abraham and has promised Abraham. And the Hebrews are saying we're his special possession. He said that in Exodus 19. So we now obey, not just to obey, but to our express our love and gratitude to him. This is expressed in the Shema. This is that prayer that Jewish religious Jewish people even today say twice a day, both in the morning and in the evening. And one part of it, in Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 15. Listen to this. It shall come about, if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I'm commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and late rain, etc., etc. Listen to this. It shall come about, if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I'm commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him. What is God saying? That the commandments, if you listen to them, if you obey them, if you actually do them, this is a way to love me. This is a way to serve me. So it's a way of expressing our love to God and our gratitude to God. Jesus said the same thing. <laughs> Are we surprised? He's God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And it's just like in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13. Finally, we ask the question, why the house of slavery? In actuality, it says the house of slaves in Hebrew. And again, I wanted to thank Dennis Prager. I, I, I love going into his commentary because he gives a real scholarly, intellectual way of looking at God's word. He wants to say, what does the word say? And not what the word doesn't say. In other words, he just doesn't want to say, well, my feeling is this, I think this means this. What does the word say in Hebrew? And really getting at the, the meaning, and especially in the historical context. So Prager talks about that you were brought out of Egypt from the house of slaves, not slavery. This seems to be redundant, as Prager mentions in his book, the Rational Bible Exodus. It seems like repeating. Hey, I took you out of Egypt from the house of slaves. Isn't the house of slaves Egypt? And isn't Egypt the house of slaves? So why not just to say, I brought you out of Egypt? No, 
It seems as if what God is trying to do, he wants his people not to romanticize about Egypt. Don't stop at I brought you out of Egypt. Add. Add as awesome as Egypt is, as powerful it is, it was a house of slaves. Yes, powerful, majestic, rich, beautiful. But remember how bad it was. Go to Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. They cried out when you really study the Hebrew. And we did this in this series, the Gospel According to Moses in Exodus, way back in, I think, lesson 2 or 3, maybe even, I think it's actually lesson 4. Lesson 4, part 2. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, they cried out. To who? No one. God heard them. But they didn't cry out to God. They cried out to no one. In the midst of all that power and all that glory and all the riches, they were nothing. They had nothing. They were treated worse than dogs, and God wants them to remember this. Don't remember the glory of Egypt, the pyramids, the beautiful temples, the gold, the abundant food, the, the, the great living conditions. You were nothing. You were worse than dogs. And on top of that, what happens? God picks slaves. Not people who lived in Egypt, but these were slaves of Egypt. They were powerless. They had no worldly influence. And what did he do? What did he, what did he pick them for? We go to Isaiah 49, verse 6. And this is what he says about why he chose Israel. God says, Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob? Jacob, his name's Israel, so the tribes of Israel, and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations, a light to the world, so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. These are his chosen ones. They're not chosen because they're going to be better than other nations. No! We're going to see as we continue on in Genesis, as we continue on in Exodus, if this is one holy book where God really puts down his people that they're stubborn and rebellious. But he says, you are going to be my treasured possession. You're going to be a light to the nations. And you're going to bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. In Hebrew salvation, the Hebrew word is Yeshua. That's Jesus' name. And we too. This is part of us as well. God's not finished. He came for sinners. He came for rebels. He came for us weak ones. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says he came for sinners. And he says, I'm, I'm the worst one. He came so we too could be a light to the nations. Jesus says this is what his disciples are to be. Matthew 5, verse 14. And we are to be witnesses. 
of Jesus or for Jesus to the ends of the earth. A witness means we're going to be testifying of Jesus. We're going to bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. This is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He chooses, he, he, he chooses the weak ones, the despised ones, us. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. So we look at the Ten Commandments and we see that verse 2 primarily is the Jewish First Commandment. Part of the First Commandment for the Catholics and part of the First Commandment for the Protestants. But what's important, it says that God, Yahweh, He brought you out, each of you, out of Egypt and from the house of slaves. And we saw that the Catholic and Protestants leave this out. But now we're studying Elohei HaDevarim, God's statements. And we're seeing the Ten Commandments within those statements. As Yahweh did it, we see his plan, and his see, his plan was to do it again. He was not finished. He was going to do it again in himself when he came here, Jesus. This awesome event in world history is only part of God's awesome plan for Jew and Gentile alike. A plan that only could be finished at the cross. It only could be finished in Messiah Jesus. And indeed, it was finished. He said it in his own words at the moment of his death. It is finished. Shalom. I'll see you in Lesson 5.